Hello everybody, <laughs> it's my turn to do the intros, I have to do a little bit of that uh, boxing guy in, 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 in the ring, yeah. you know, introducing the fighters. And we, we have a proper fighter with us today, uh, slightly different episode, he's on the other side of the table, no longer a student we're speaking with, but we're speaking to, I would say, a legendary college soccer coach, uh, he's a Hall of, Hall of Famer uh, in, in Ukraine. Uh, where his origin is uh, from, and uh, TJ Kostecki, you've been uh, Division One head coach for decades at uh, Long Island University in Brooklyn, currently uh, at Bard College in, in New York uh, at a Division Three school. Uh, we've had a pleasure of knowing you for many, many years, and we wanted to have you on the podcast, so welcome. Pleasure to be here. It's so great to see you, and and to meet rules, it's uh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. We were talking just before you were just inducted into the the Hall of Fame in Ukrainian sport, and you know with the Klitschko brothers and uh, and and uh, Wayne Gretzky apparently is in there. There's some heritage there, but we were joking that Andrei Shevchenko he's not in there yet. No. And you said, well, Andrei's, you know, you're gonna make some <laughs> something happen there. He's on the fence. He's on the fence. I think we'll. I think we'll have to to make that recommendation and push him across. Yeah. So if you can just put that into the committee, because Truls there is a big Chelsea fan, and he's uh, he was a bit heartbroken to 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 listen yeah. that he's not in there yet. Yeah, but uh, I'm glad that we can finally sort of sort that out now, and that uh, Andre that will probably listen to this episode will know that we we will get him over the fence. We will get him over the fence. I'm going to make a note of that right now, just so in case I don't forget. Thank you. <laughs> Good. I know you know it's college season happening right now, and you refer to your teams as as the good guys, and it's always nice to see the the good guys winning games. And at the moment, we don't have any any international students at Bard. Hopefully, that will change over the years because I think that's an amazing place to 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 attend school. Uh, but we had a lot of players under your uh, guidance and coaching, and I, I say guidance because you're not only a coach, TJ. Uh, and you'll, after this episode, know why. Uh, but we started our relationship uh, when you were at Brooklyn, coaching Division One, and maybe you can just talk us through a little bit of the change you were trying to implement as you were, uh, you, you'd been coaching there for a long time, and you, you came to a realization that maybe some, a piece was missing or, you know, wanted to try something different in 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 building a team because that's what you know recruiting and in the coaching world is all about building building a team that can be successful yes um so yeah i was at liu for 20 years actually for liu brooklyn was as you said it was division one it had some pretty good success early on in the career and then and then hit a bump where for many years we we're not that successful in terms of in, in the field, you know, wins and losses in the classroom. We were always successful. So I want to be you know, clear on that part where, you know, although you come into play the sport, whether it's football or whatever, you want to make sure you're doing it in the classroom. So every year we were top 25 in the nation academically, um, which is very important. In fact, twice my teams were number one in the nation academically, their GPA, like ahead of Stanford, Princeton, Harvard, all those schools. Um, but we weren't, weren't on the field. We're just missing some things. And I th one thing I thought we were missing was maturity, uh, the type of maturity that uh, I had earlier experience from international students that were on my teams, that whether it be at LIU or at Pfeiffer, because I had coached at Pfeiffer before that years before, and I had a, a smattering of very good internationals. And the international students bring a, bring a sense of maturity, uh, wisdom that... 17, 18 year old American student athletes don't necessarily all have, to be quite frank. And um, that's when we connected. We started connecting there. There was an event and uh, Nate, remember Nate Bell, who's a terrific assistant uh, that I had, he was fantastic. You know, he started connecting, we started connecting, we were reaching out to us. And I said, let me pay closer attention to uh, what the work you're doing and Stu is doing. And can we start adding some more mature players to help us because we're getting close. We're really on the fringe of getting good results. 
And that's, that was my bigger, biggest decision right there. Yeah. I remember Nate, uh, the good assistant, uh, he was a re- really good uh, good guy. I uh, hope you're listening to this, Nate. Uh, uh, now running a very successful soccer club in, in Brooklyn, uh, which is also cool to see. Um, but he was relentless in trying to show to us, as we're, we're recruiters, right? We, we have a lot of athletes and we, we're trying to matchmake uh, to, to get our athletes find good opportunities at schools that can fit their preferences and ambitions when it comes to their academics, which obviously LA Brooklyn under your leadership was was fantastic and also a really, really great place to, to do your academics in, in a big city like New York and, and Brooklyn. Uh, but also, of course, the soccer. Uh, and it was very interesting. I remember vividly he was so persistent and re- relentless with hey we're we're doing something special here we just need some some pieces that could kind of make everything flow and and uh, like oil in the machinery pretty much and um you know sometimes you you american coaches you you're really good at selling your programs uh we'll give you that right so sometimes you, you it's nice to get someone kind of taking that leap and to be recruited and, and st- of course they, the st- our students make their own decisions but it's also about seeing from the inside how it how it really is uh, to be a, a student athlete at that school and that program how it's run and and if it's all just smokes and mirrors and and or, or if you can be something special and it turned out to be something special what you were building at Brooklyn which was incredible because then Kind of the, the next recruiting classes when you had a couple of Norwegians going in, and I remember you got some really studs, you know, some really good players in the beginning, and they did well, and then it kind of just mushrooms. Every everybody else kind of get a get get them as a reference, and then you you ended up with six, seven, uh, in, in this case, Scandinavian players, Norwegian, Swedes, uh, Dane. I mean, Rasmus uh, sc- scoring just tons of goals, uh, da- Danish player. Uh, yeah. did incredibly well but they were all starting players they were all coming into the team and, f- and fitting in uh, was it very dif- difficult to to blend all those internationals with the americans that were, were already on the team uh no no it wasn't it wasn't uh, we do we do a lot of work in building culture a, a healthy culture uh into our team a lot of work and uh and i also did a lot of work to make sure that they were the right people um, so, you know, with those guys, uh, that you just mentioned, uh, you know, Rasmus, uh, there's also Christopher, uh, Simon, you know, they were, they were tremendous top players, you know, playing for top clubs, you know, Valerenga, Stabek, right. Um, uh, Rasmus played for, uh, Bromby, right. Youth player for Bromby. So these are, these are guys that had a great experience, but what I would do in the process is I would go also talk to their parents. You know, I, I was fortunate to have the budget to travel after I got commitments to see what they were like. And we talked about what we're building here. And, uh, you know, the exciting part of building a program is, is you're part of, le- of a legacy, leaving a legacy. And, and you're doing that in your company. Your legacy is you're sitting next to a young man that went through and his legacy is what he's done there at that school and what he's doing in his life right now. So the the conversation I always have with players and people is that I, I want you to be a part of this, but it's a legacy. It's about heavy lifting and building something that's going to be really special. And do you want to be a part of that? And uh, a lot of people do want to be a part of that. And uh, and we need you to be the, the change maker. And that's how important you are. And this is how you're going to bring about change your maturity, coming from a club, coming from a culture that's open, uh, and how you're going to add that to our 17, 18 year old first time freshman. Um, so it was, it actually isn't, was not difficult, uh, because they were great people. When you have great people, you could, amazing things can happen and occur and amazing things do occur with great people. For sure. Uh, it's the same as, you know, you're building a team in a company or, or, you know, in, in soccer or tennis or whatever it is we've had many many students come through the long island university system in many different sports uh such a such a big school and it used to be several campuses and you know now now it's more blended into into one there but in terms of the sports but 
I, I find it very interesting to you, you need the different types in a, in a in a program or in a team or in a workplace to to be to build something very special. You talk about legacy and you know the the ones that you really remember. Of course, they will do well on the on the pitch because uh, that's you kind of measure by that and of course the academics part part you're you're a student athlete we always tell uh, parents and their their son daughter hey student becomes uh, is, is the first word in student athlete so that is you're there to get your degree but you know for the the awards the 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 attention you get typically revolves around how well did you do on the pitch that year um, and and these guys hit came in hit the ground running. Uh, I would say from day one. Oh yeah, I definitely from day one. I remember our first trip. We did a preseason trip. I took him to North Carolina, and I've and I always would do things with my team. So on the trip, we went whitewater rafting for three and a half hours in the mountains. It was phenomenal. We had a great time, and uh, we we scrimmaged. We played a friendly against Davidson College. And my oldest daughter was just happened to be going to school at Davidson. She was a track runner there. And Davidson was top 25 the year before. And we we were not a good side the year before. And uh, the final score of the scrimmage was 5-2, good guys. <laughs> good guys, yeah. So what's your overall record, uh, TJ, with uh, you know good guys versus, uh, versus the <laughs> opponent? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what my record is. I'm not a big record keeper. I'm not a statistic guy, but I, but good guys comes from uh, a mentor that I had was a teacher. When I was growing up in school, I had a teacher that uh, was a physical education teacher, and uh, whatever team he was on was the good guys, and you always wanted to be on the team of the good guys. So that's where that that's where that term comes from. Okay. The good guy. It's my team. Yeah. It's your team. Whatever team you're on, CSUSA, that's the good guys team right now that I'm looking at. Okay. Uh -huh. I yeah. like that. Yeah. I like that phrase. So, not to, so, so the opponent wouldn't be the wise guys, right? From the Martin Scorsese films, no, uh, the, no, the no. mafia, the, the Trump no, Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> could be, right? Very yeah. could be. Just, with, just with introducing <laughs> that, okay? I'm going to trademark that right now. So it's on record that, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, you could do that. But um, TJ, it's it's funny to see um, when you recruit players. You're not only recruiting, you know, what they can do on a soccer pitch. Uh, you also recruit a person uh, that's going to come in and fit with the rest of the guys that you have on your team. Because it is like Kim says and you says, there's a ton of puzzles that has to fit together to be a successful team. And some players don't have always have to show that on the pitch every single game but can also be an important player to have in the locker room that's what i'm very used to um having great guys in the locker room that didn't necessarily play a big part in the games always but was a big part of the locker room and and the team spirit was that also something that was important and, and necessary for you guys to also work so well huge yeah. in incredibly huge i could if i could share a story we had a player on the team, he was American. His name was Mike Michael Ramsey, and he was a goalkeeper from California. Who um, he had a he had an awful uh, accident riding a bicycle in high school, where he got caught uh, on a on a rope. It was dark, and he hit his head, and he was in a coma for a month and almost almost died. And he survived, obviously, and and ended up playing as staying as a goalkeeper his last two years. Well, Michael came to New York. Uh, and was recruited as a goalkeeper for us. Well, when he came to New York during the same period that we're talking about, 2015, um, he would get hurt. He, his shoulder got hurt. Fortunately, his head never got hurt. But other parts of it, he was he was consistently injured all the time, and just freak weird stuff. You know, it wasn't you know weird stuff anyway. But Michael was the locker room guy. He's the one that was talking to the goalkeepers and helping them. Because, you know, that position, you know, that's a critical position on a team, as you know that. So Michael was always the one that would be doing that, right? In his senior year, so he, when he graduated, he was part of two championships. And I never got on the pitch. Until the spring of his senior year, we played the Cosmos. They were the North American League champions. And Giovanni Savresi, 
uh, who coaches the Portland Timbers, the MLS team. Gio is a, a dear friend and an LIU grad, and we would play them all every spring. Michael was in goal when we played them, right? Because we didn't have any goalkeepers. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to be maybe a long, long day, right? <laughs> they beat us 2-1. He played out of his mind. After the match, the goalkeeper coach comes up to my coach and says, that guy, uh, he's finished with you. We, we need a third keeper on our, you know, on our championship team. Is he available, right? This is, this is Michael, right? Well, Michael wasn't available. Why wasn't he available? Because he was uh, won the National Physics Award. Mm. The national, not the soccer physics award, not the athletic, the National Physics Award. Only one given out in the whole country. And when he interviewed uh, for his job in Columbia University, he interviewed for the top position of neuro, neuroscience, and he got the position. I, I spoke to him. He goes, I, I met with the guru. We, we spoke for two hours. And the first hour, all I talked about, all he asked me is how I helped the soccer team become successful. And I told him the stories, what I learned in leadership, in compassion, in believing in people, in modeling the right behavior, in doing things when people aren't looking. I got the job. He works for the top neuroscientist in, in Columbia University in New York, and he never got on the pitch. So he was a locker room guy. Yeah. I, I also wrote his letter of recommendation when he went to Stanford and got his first job, myself and the president of the school, because we specifically could describe how he helped our, our team in other areas. That's an incredible story. Yeah. But I feel like there's many stories like that. Uh, and Tita, we've... We've had dinner, we've had lunch, we, I've been to Brooklyn campus, you show me around, you're taking me to Junior's, the, the most amazing place just across the road, uh, the cheesecake, phenomenal. Um, but there's stories coming out of, uh, from people from your program all the time. Uh, do, you, do you pay more attention to the type of recruit, uh, like the, the person there versus maybe others? Or is that something that you, is that specific for, for your style of and being successful? Or how is that? How do you compare yourself to other coaches that are recruiting? I, I, I don't, I, first of all, I don't compare myself to others because others, um, I'm sure, have great ideas and things that they do that are, that are uh, wonderful that work for them. Uh, I just, my lens is always developing. Uh, I pay attention. I pay attention to little things all the time. Uh, so, for example, uh, Christopher Sobakin, you remember Christopher, found him at your event. You know, he played for Stabek, incredible player. Uh, when I went, I went to Oslo to, to, to meet his family. So, and I was in Oslo and for, for, for a week. And uh, when we went out, I went, they invited me over for dinner. And then I went out to dinner with them. And I remember at the dinner table sitting and meeting his, his brother, and his brother was just also going on to school. He was younger than him, or a little bit older, actually, a little bit older. And uh, he had shared with us how his brother was driving people around, but he needs somebody with him to, to support him. And how Chris would spend hours sitting in the car while his brother was Ubering just to make sure he would be there to support him. I'm like, that's a guy I want on my team. I want a guy that cares so deeply about his brother that he's going to be driving around. Well, Chris was a big player for us, as you know that. And Chris also, unfortunately, tore his ACL one summer and was not playing when we also had a very successful team. So he, although he was recovering from his ACL surgery, he was helping guys be better. Yep. He was coaching guys on the sideline. So I don't know if I answered that question for you or not, but I look how people are behaving and how much care they have because when you care about someone and you care about each other you work so much harder when you believe in someone and you're thankful man you work so much harder for them as opposed to you know people you don't know about or you're not that you're not that vested interest in yeah. that's very true but just one comment on that you know there are some off-putting things that you coaches look at for recruits like uh, alarm bells and you you mind sharing that with uh, the, the the listeners and viewers because that's sure. obviously important we, we we try our best to share that but it might be better coming from directly from the the, the guy recruiting you right right 
Uh, great question. So eye contact, you know, depends on the culture. You know, some cultures eye contact, I, I discovered, is not a big part of their culture. But, you know, in American European culture, eye contact is a big thing. Are you paying attention? Are you looking in the eyes? So that's a big piece. Two is uh, how you tr how you treat your family, your, your father, your mother, when they're talking. So I listen when a parent is talking to me because I Zoom with parents a lot. I meet with parents a lot as well in the process. So they get to know me, they get to understand because that's a, that's a big thing. If I'm going to watch their child and be the mentor for four years, I want the parent to ask me questions and know, you know, who, what am I all about? So when I am on Zoom calls and also in, when it's in person and a parent is talking, I'm watching how the, how the child is responding, child being the player, right? So if they're dismissive, I'm not recruiting that player. If they're looking away like, oh, that's my dad, my mom's saying like that. I'm not recruiting that player because if they're dismissive of their parent that's talking and then I'm going to be giving them information that's hard, honest information about getting better, they're not going to listen to me. They're not going to listen to me. They're not going to get better. So I've unrecruited players that were dismissive to parents, some really good players. There's one, one player that uh, when I was at LIU that – Coach from Texas, his top player. He wanted to come play for me. He was a great player, blah, blah, blah. He comes, he leaves, looking at other schools. Coach says, oh, he wants to play for you. I said, he's not playing for me. He goes, why? I goes, mom's talking. He's like rolling his eyes. He was rolling his eyes. Well, I'm sorry. It doesn't work like that. So so how you treat other people is is crucial. Yeah. So maybe small details for some, but in, in your line of work and how you recruit, TJ, that, that is a trigger for you. And that, that's good to know. And I, I guess coaches have their own, you know, triggers uh, on, on things. But, uh, you know, we've seen some athletes, you know, be, you talk about being unrecruited that are kind of put themselves out of the mix because of, you know, some, you know, like the typical some social media uh, postings that were quite unfortunate, something that shouldn't happen. And you just kind of see, again, character, right? Yeah. Um, and, and kind of how do we, let me, let me share how we get to that as a team, some of the work that we do. So before every training session, we, we, we circle up, we do, uh, we do shout outs in my team. So I, I would, I would chat, I do shout outs. So before every, before we even start anything, we shout out and say shout out to Jules for, uh, you know, taking me and, uh, you know, taking me to get, uh, um, a, a nice burrito last night. Appreciate that. You know, appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, sh shout out to Kim for helping me with my biology, you know, work. Cause I didn't know this stuff yet. You know, so we, we start every training session positive. Yeah. Our energy is up and high. We, and we're grateful and we're, th our lens is already thankful and, gr and grateful. Does that make sense? Yeah. And we also have ethos that we as a team come up with ethos. For example, my team here, has come up with these ethos, what's important for our program, integrity, community, heart, and vision. So before every training session, I anonymously pick a player the night before who takes one of those ethos and he steps in the circle after we're done and he shares a story of heart yesterday. So for example, we did that yesterday. So one player steps up and says, heart is our ethos of the week we're talking about. I want to talk about Min, one of our players who cares so much about us. When I was injured, he was giving me stuff to work on so that I could get better. So he was shining out a player of this, right? So when you build that kind of culture that people are saying good things, and when you say hard things to each other, you can accept that. And let me take that to LIU. I remember we had a, a film session after a match, and Rasmus, you know, Rasmus, great player. Well, in the film session, we gave up a goal, and, he, and he's a striker. And uh, he, you know, part of the, we try to break it down why we gave up a goal, right? And uh, we're making teaching points. So back four should have been dropping sooner. Goalkeeper communicate, right? All these different things, right? Back of the room, one of our players, who uh, Gregorio Mount, he didn't play, barely played at all, from Seattle. He raises his hand and he says, coach, here's another thing that we could have done a little bit differently. I go, what? Now, Rasmus, by the way, Jules is a big personality, big personality, great player. Didn't always take criticism well. He says, if Rasmus would have pressed the right center back earlier instead of allowing him to play that ball on the channel, 
that might not have happened. So if Rasmus worked a little bit harder instead of standing out to the side, right? Yeah. This is what he says. Now, if we don't develop that culture, Rasmus might be going, you know, going off on him, right? Or who are you to tell me, right? Next match, guess who was the hardest worker on the pitch? Rasmus. Rasmus. Yeah. I think he scored two goals actually that next match. But Rasmus was the hardest worker on the pitch because we had built a culture. Does that make sense? Yeah. Where we're embracing criticism because I care about you. So if I care about you, you're going to listen to me. So that that takes time to do that. And that's also being authentic yeah. and really caring about people. And when you do that, you get better. Yeah. My teams, we never talk about winning. Yeah, it's uh, TJ. It's we, really, never, really... we never have to talk about that. We just we talk about all this process. Go ahead, Drew. No, it's um, it just makes a lot more sense to thinking about of my own college soccer career because um, just remembering that uh, and from what you're telling my experience my sophomore year um we played really well and but the funny thing is that we were 25 guys on a roster that were all really really good friends and close with each other right so it was me coming in sophomore year and then and a ton of other freshmen coming in but it was a really really good team experience and because of all the team building that we've done and all of the hard work we've done in the preseason, we all got to know each other really well, right? So giving tough love over the season was a lot more easier because everyone just took it because we, we meant it just in a positive way. But after that year, a lot of our senior players graduated and we got a brand new um, freshman class coming in. And... I'll, I'll take some of the responsibility and, and other players as well, but we couldn't bring that further on for my junior year and my senior year, and we saw that. And, you know, the sophomore crew and the junior crew became, were f still friends, but the freshmen fell outside, and and you saw the sophomores, f you know, fall outside for the next two years of, of my college career. And that ended up being probably the two worst years of, of um, the program that we, we played at, just because of, the, um, it was too much of a difference between being a senior player and a freshman player because we didn't know each other. I didn't know the freshmen on my team the way it was when I came in my sophomore year. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay, TJ, a lot of wisdom there in, in, in the first part. Uh, <laughs> my last question on kind of tied into the recruiting side of things and a lot of the things you were saying, of course, a lot of these students, they're, they have a decision to make. Uh, you talked about the guy from Texas who wanted to come to your school, but in the end you pulled the plug because he wasn't the right fit. And that, that happens all the time uh, for different reasons. Um, but our job is to find uh, different options and it's for the student to find the right fit for them. But what, what do you think is the are, are key things in the decision-making process of choosing the right program? So, um, great question. Uh, I think the key things are, is to ask yourself why, why you're making, why are you going to make this decision? You know, why are you coming to America? What is your ex, what is your expectation, uh, to, uh, coming to America and what, what do you plan to get out of it, out of that experience? I think those are the first questions uh, that I would ask myself if I'm sitting uh, in a student that's uh, an athlete uh, coming through your organization. Um, and then um, I think the, qu the questions are, you know, what, what would you ask, I guess, a coach, right? Does that make sense? Is that, would that be the next step, right? In terms of that piece? Um, I think you, it's really important to do your homework. Uh, when you when you when you talk to a coach, when you get to the point where you're having that conversation with a coach or a school, uh, that uh, you know, where, do you want to go in the city? Do you want to be in the country? Um, do you like cold weather? Do you like warm weather? I mean, America is you know, you could take Europe, right, and all the different climates essentially, most of them, aside from maybe Finland, which is a little cold up there, right? You have that, uh, you know, Pretty in the states. So, yeah. Pretty cold there too, TJ shooting from from oslo uh so yeah you, you know well. you've been here on a on a cold uh, fall evening oh i have i, I have on several occasions yes <laughs> in helsinki uh so yeah where do, where do you want to land 
first of all. Do you want do you want a small school? Do you want a big school? Do you want a school that, you know, has American football, which is big on weekends at a big school? Or do you want a school that is smaller that people get to know you and you're less of a number? Because there's all, all sizes in America, as you know that. And you went to school in South Carolina, correct? I think, right? Game right? Is that where we went, right? Yep. And, and Jules, you went to school in Massachusetts, right? Am I correct? Yep. Right. So again, they're all all different. So that asking that question, uh, and then what do you want to pursue? What do you want to study? What is important to you? you know, uh, many international students I found are interested in some form of business or, or economics, uh, but obviously there's a, a whole array of areas that you can pursue and study. I, I was a also a professor for 20 years in uh, sports science at LIU. I, I was a co-founder of the sport management program. So I had quite a few students that were interested in that field, that were interested in uh, coaching, uh, athletic training, uh, sports medicine, strength and conditioning, how to be a sport manager, how to be a marketer, entrepreneur. Um, so yeah, so looking at does the school offer what you're interested in uh, pursuing? Because at the end of the day, the football experience or the sport experience, because right now I'm just talking football because there's a lot of sports that you do, is going to be important. But how is that? degree, how's that experience going to get you uh, moving forward in your career and give you opportunities uh, that you can have some choices? Yeah, I think uh, a lot of our internationals, they they will learn a lot in when doing their homework. And we're part of that, you know, to make sure they understand, you know, the some, you know, we have British clients, we have Irish clients where native language is English. And that's, uh, uh, I mean, maybe sometimes even difficult for you coaches to understand some of them with their thick, thick accents. Uh, but you know, you can imagine for uh, uh, you know a Scandinavian or another non-native English speaker, you obviously have the language barrier to some extent. Some are obviously more proficient than others, and but just to understand, you know, concepts that might be, you have to recruit maybe slightly differently when it's an international who's a non-native English speaker to make sure they understand, you know, all the all the things you're talking about and not going 100 miles an hour and uh, trying to to talk, you know, about certain topics where they lost you after sentence one if it goes too fast. Maybe something to that that you have you experienced any any situations like that where they you were talking about having eye contact earlier, but sometimes they might might have. You lost them after a little while because they didn't kind of understand the word you were you were saying. Well, I tend to speak slowly unless I have my coffee, which then I'm 100 miles an hour. So <laughs> once this kicks in, uh, but yeah, that's happened, especially being in New York. I mean, when I li living in Brooklyn and working there for 20 years, I would talk rapidly, very very quickly, and everybody does. So at, at times I have to put on the pause button and kind of repeat myself or. You know, can you can you repeat what I just said? Do you understand what I just said? Yeah. And then have that person repeat in their in their words in their mind what uh, they thought that I said. So yeah, that 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 has definitely happened, um, and that and that's certainly a, a, a culture piece. There's there's various cultural things that occur, you know, in terms of adjusting. You know, that that happens, of course. Um, yeah. Then we have the, you know, the the preseason, the maybe the dreaded preseason. You know, it's. Uh, I think most recruits. Uh, we we try our best to explain to our our student athletes traveling over that hey, this is. Uh, uh, it's important that you you're fully prepared for this mentally and and also physically because it's going to be uh, you have a short window to to get in this team right and uh, this is just how the rules are and you have a couple of weeks where you. You get to know all your teammates, the new plays, and it's it's fun, but it's also going to be a challenge. But um, what's the best advice to internationals to be fully prepped for for a preseason where you only have a short time to really you recruited them, but you haven't many times seen them live or met them and to to get into the to the team? I, I would say that's the biggest adjustment is the preseason because uh, you know in Europe and just not you around the world you have much more time to, to build in and, and proper systems of, of, of training to get you ready to go in America because of the calendar of the school year and playing, we don't have that. So you have, you literally have two weeks and then you're playing proper real games, which is 
which is crazy, but it is the system. In fact, once you come here, you sometimes you you train four or five times and you're playing a match, which again is not the best thing on the body. Um, and and you do fitness tests. I don't know if you remember behind me, the fitness tests of for Brooklyn was we'd run the Brooklyn Bridge back and forth. We were so we were we were about a, a kilometer and a half from the Brooklyn Bridge, and I would do that, and I would do it not as a fitness test, more of a mental psychological test, honestly, uh, because when you go over to Manhattan from Brooklyn, it's kind of easy to go down. If you've ever been on the Brooklyn Bridge, you have, right? But if you come up the other way, gosh, that's brutal. So it was always like a mental test to see who can psychologically deal with it and also to see how players responded and supported each other. So that's how I actually did it. Um, so, but how do you, how do you prepare for it? That's a great question. Uh, well, every, I would say most, if not every coach will give you a preseason packet, right? Jules, did you have that uh, from your coach? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yep. So you'll have you'll have a preseason packet that you'll be able to work on uh, three, four, or five times a week. Depends on you know what the what the program is, the level. So you'll you'll build you'll build prior to that a, a good fitness base. So you just follow that fitness base, and then what I always recommend is 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 to taper down like the week before because players get so excited, they're working so hard, and you know they sometimes you got to be careful so you don't burn out. So taper off the week before. And then you're fresh, you're ready to go for, for preseason. Um, Got to take a lot, a lot of rest. You have to drink fluids. You have to get to bed early. Um, you know, there's a lot of challenges. It's kind of like going to like a boot camp is what it is. You know, if you're in an army or in a military, I haven't been, but those are the similar experiences because the food is going to be different. Remember, the food's going to be different. That's one of the biggest adjustments. Unfortunately, the food in America depends on where you are, not at Bard. We have our own farm, by the way. So we have vegetables, fruits, and apples that we grow. So it's unusual. It's really special. Tougher but to do in Brooklyn. Very different from Brooklyn. So, you know, so the food, unfortunately, in America, at the schools, a lot of it's processed. And, you know, internationals, you, I'm sure you guys have experienced that. You know, when I come over to Norway or, or to Denmark or Sweden, the food is phenomenal. I, you know, I love it. I put on weight because I eat like two, three portions now because it's so good, right? Ah, where, we we where, put on where, weight when we come to America. Likewise. You don't even eat that much. It's just you look at the food and you put on weight. But look at it, right? It's it must be the stuff. cheesecake at, at Junior's. Yeah. Yeah, well, you have to make exceptions. You have, you have to make exceptions <laughs> with the cheesecake. I think I think Junior's sales are going to go up right now just from this podcast, by the way. Yeah. You know, I should have negotiated some commission. Yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> nice free marketing. <laughs> but, uh, but seriously, it's um, preparing, do, doing the work ahead of time in the summer, number one. And two, when, when you're you know talking to players, too, that have, that have been here before, uh, that have done it, getting their advice, um, especially players that have been part of a specific program. So if you're being recruited and you accept to go to this university or college, talk to players, talk to them during the summer. Hey, tell me about preseason. What do I need to be aware of? You know, what are the pitfalls? What are the problems? What are the issues? The players will be honest. They'll tell you. So that's actually even the best way to do it. But, you know, you you bring in a recruit internationally, or any recruit that you bring in typically on scholarship money. And there, there comes an expectation with that. And from a coaching standpoint, I guess some are more patient than others. And it is a four-year uh, journey you're about to embark on together. But there's also that you want results. And what is your take on uh, that piece where patience yes you have to have some of that but you also want to push the the, the student athlete especially when you're in season it matters to do well on, on on the field and you you recruited them for a reason uh but they, they might not always hit the ground running from from the start and then there's a variety of reasons for that uh but how do you deal with the expectations coming in with scholarship players great question uh the longer I coached, the more patient I became. You know, when I early in my career, I was like, hey, you know, you're on a big scholarship. You're here. You're not performing. What happened? Did I make a mistake or you're not working hard? You know, you know, I, I used early in my career. I, I asked those questions, you know, of myself, perhaps, or maybe that student uh, as I became wiser. I realized that there's an acclimation period. And some, I just shared some of those things. There's, there's such an acclimation. But think about that. You're thousands of miles away from family right away. You're on your own. 
and mental health component. We, we rarely talk about mental health. That's an important, important part of, of, of your, of, of your journey and making sure you're supportive. So, so I've, I've re rewired my lens and my compassion in that, Hey, you know, do you, what are you having those conversations? I meet a lot with players, by the way, I talk with players a lot. I, I rarely have big issues with players because we talk and I listen. So they understand the expectation or if there's a challenge or an issue, they know that I care and believe in them and I'll be patient with them. I can't expect things to them if I haven't had a conversation or they don't know my expectation. So, um, so that's how I deal with it. I, I've become massively better in, in, in the later part of my career, having done this for you know over 30 years now, uh, about lis- listening to, to players. And, and so players also, it's important for them to have a conversation. Players have power. Players have power. So, you know, if someone not, is not treating you in the right way or you, you know, that we have, we have SWA, senior women's administrators, we have compliance people, every college and university. So uh, no one should be treating you poorly uh, at all in terms of their behavior. So that's something that, you know, to be aware of as well. So coaches don't just lay down that heavy hand with that in, a, in an unreasonable way. Uh, yeah. Because there is, uh, especially at the Division One level, which is regarded as as the highest college level. Obviously, there's no you know relegation or promotion. So you know, I, I came from a Division Two background and and also played one there in Division One. And you know, the Division Two conference that I was in was just phenomenal, and it would beat so many of Division One teams. But it is that pressure of, and you must feel that as a coach that you need to deliver. Uh, results on the pitch. Yes, they're student athletes, but hey, if you have if you're losing game after game after game, there must be you must be feeling the the heat a little bit. Uh, I guess maybe when you're now you're at, you've been in the game for so long, but maybe earlier on in the career it was uh, much more important to, or maybe you felt that that pressure more then. Sure, I probably did, Kim, early on. Uh, but as I grew and evolved and learned about how to lead people and watched top people lead with pat, with compassion and making sure that my frustration was not dem- was not given to you, you know, up to 79% of all communication, some research has shown is uh, nonverbal communication. So, you know, am I closed? Am I open? Am I leaning in? Am I nodding or not? Right. So I pay a lot of attention on on nonverbal cues, and in my journey, understanding that I have to make sure that I am comfortable in emitting. If I'm tense and uptight before a match because I have to win this match or whatever, my players are going to feel it. The people around me, my assistants are going to feel it. So their tempers may be shorter. So it's very important as a leader, and you know that you you and Stuart are, are leaders you know, of, of your company and people around you all the time and your mentors for people all the time. Your mood is important that your mood is is spot on and positive and right. So bringing, bringing your personal stuff in uh, is a challenge to, uh, if you want to lead in the right way. Uh, also being vulnerable and letting people know, hey, I'm struggling too. So I don't have all the answers. So that's part of leadership too. I don't have all the answers. Can you help me? Uh, today, you know, uh, but I'll find out about that. So it's been a journey. I don't know if that, I'm answering your question or not, but I, I found that empowering people is the best way to lead. I've got 25 players and I give them a voice, a real voice, not a not a BS voice, but a real voice where their their voice matters. Like the example I gave with Gregorio and, and Rasmus, if if Gregorio didn't feel he had a voice, he would have never in the in the in the video session called out our top player, player of the year, calling him out. And the top player wouldn't have listened to, but because as a leader, I'm comfortable giving others that platform. Uh, yeah, then we're able to move forward, and things work out. You know, and if they don't work out, they don't work out. You know, the world's not going to end. What would you say, um, TJ? Now that you're, you know, I know this uh, obviously from uh, being at a D3 college that you don't get um, athletic scholarship as a as a player. Um, and now being a coach, being you know 20 years uh, at a very high-profile D1 school, 
to now be at a smaller D3 university. Uh, how do you see that difference from, from the coaching perspective and also recruiting players? Co coaching perspective has not, has not changed aside from that the standard I had at LIU, the players were just much higher level. I mean, that's, that's the difference there. The, you know, they're still capable players. Uh, they want to be good. Players want to be good. They want to compete and they want to be successful. Even though I have amazing people here, they're going to cha change the world. They are changing the world. They're doing amazing things, but they want to be good. So the the football part doesn't really doesn't change for me, uh, and the leadership part do doesn't change um, in terms of how how to recruit without scholarships. Is was that is that a question? Is that, yeah. So yeah, I mean it's certainly a challenge. Bard is one of the ta top academic institutions in the nation, highly academic, and. Uh, with that, it's one of the most expensive schools in the country as well. It's very, very expensive. So we we offer only aid uh, based on financial need, financial aid. But they give grants for that. So there's grants and scholarships, but they're need-based. They're not academic-based aid, and they're not uh, sport-based aid. So that is a challenge, but most people get the packages that they can afford. Frankly, they put in the financial aid stuff. International students do the same thing. I don't have any internationals on my team right now. Other sports do. Uh, I just just don't, it, just because where we are in this cycle. And there's a, a tremendous amount of domestic players that want to come here. I've traveled around the country. I've been in nine cities this summer, getting in front of a lot of people. And, and hence, they want a top education and they want to be challenged. And having a Division One. Former head Division One coach, coach Division Three is very unusual in America. He, he yeah. probably yeah. was it. Plus, yeah. plus I had some success too, so it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's really, you know, and then and then parents find out, you know, after a while. So a lot of parents are, are looking at Bard because of the school is, I mean, world class. George Soros gave us a half a billion dollars. We have we have uh, OSIN, Open Society University Network. We have partnerships with fifty universities and colleges worldwide. We have the first human rights major in America. I mean, the school is, when I say it's off the charts, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. And I've done leadership work here. I do leadership workshops here and people really lean in. So yeah. So when they, and then they happen to find out that I'm here, they're like, oh my gosh, what are you doing here? I get the question. Why are you coaching here? You know, I said, well, cause I love this place yeah. and I love the people here. And so it's become easier. You know, you know, people are laughing when I say it's easier, like how, what do you mean easier now? Because I just, I just connect people just like you do. You connect players with the right school, coach, major. It's just finding a match. It's yeah. what it is. And being honest and open. And uh, when you're when you're like that, people want that. We we want we all want authenticity. Yeah. We want people to be authentic and not to just sell us on this or that. You know, we could tell pretty quickly if someone's authentic or they're they're making stories. So that's all that's all I do. It's you know, it's not nothing more than that, honestly. Yeah, and then I have one other question that I've um, that I thought about TJ, and and that is for for players, obviously at LIU that had big scholarships, and and that often can come with some pressure for those players, right? Because you have big scholarships, and and that is there because you you were a good player, you were recruited here, and you deserve a great scholarship, but then you also have to deliver. But in in D three you you don't necessarily have that pressure as, as of in um a athletic scholarship do you see a difference there between between players of course you do that in, in the level they are but also players that have necessarily had too much pressure pressure because of their scholarship situation and and they haven't delivered and thought about that a lot but in in D3 you don't really have that pressure uh, do you see a difference there on on yeah but also a lot of it Jules is expectations of other people. Remember, you know, you know, you we we come into this place, this space, your students that you're an athlete. So there's an expectation that you have to meet your parents' expectations, your friends' expectations. So if those expectations are not met, your joy, you know. So oftentimes I, I talk about, you know, your role on this team and who you are on this team, and that your identity is not just a, an athlete, your identity is someone who's Who's, has wide experience as a human being. Does that make sense? Yep. So taking that pressure off. The good thing about you know, at, at Bard, I, one of my top strikers is also in the orchestra. He's he's a talented musician. So he missed training last night. He missed training every Monday. He, three hours he plays this amazing instrument. I'm not going to punish him. You know, oh, you're not going to play. You're not going to, you know. 
because he's a musician. Good for him. I mean, I wish I was a musician. I wish I could do that. So I'm going to let him do that. You know, we have training today. We have a match Wednesday. He's going to play and he'll probably start. Yep. I'm not going to punish him where, you know, at the division one level, it would be a little bit different at division one level. You don't have, you don't have time. The no. coaches oftentimes own your time. So it's very, very different. Uh, it depends on what program you're at. You know, you, <laughs> time is not yours and time and health are the two most precious commodities, I believe, because time is finite and having good health is critical and important. So yeah, did I, did I answer the question? Yes, sir. So hopefully after a good preseason, the team, uh, all the players on the team are buying into what what you're trying to do this season, which, yeah, let's not uh, uh, beat around the bush. We want the Ws. We want the wins. Uh, every coach wants that, right? Uh, in addition to uh, to good GPAs, TJ, right? But when, when you're in a season, it's depending on how far, you, how deep you go into you know, postseason play and how well you do in your conference and, and all of this. Um, it goes by so quickly. How do you get the best out of each player uh, during a season, especially international? So maybe you're not used to that tight of a schedule as it is in, in the fall. So what I, what I discovered is that um, because we, we, the season is so short and it's, August to November, right? Middle of August, actually, to middle of November. So, so it's three months. And you're training and playing six days a week. And international students are not accustomed to doing that whatsoever. They usually two or three times a week, right? Three times, maybe a match, two in a match. Uh, some of the top players only train twice a week. So that's that's a big burden and a heavy load for them. So what, what, what I've done is I my sessions are, are short. They're shorter than I think... I can't say about most coaches, but I've discovered that I give players breaks and I, I'm very cognizant of the energy level that they have because we usually play twice a week, whether it's Wednesday, Saturday, and, and actually at LIU, we would play Friday, Sundays, which would be crazy, but we would play Friday, Sunday, and just have a Saturday in between to recover and do regeneration. Um, so part of that is, you know, you got to swim in the pool, uh, massage, uh, stretching, work with our strength and conditioning coach. Um, yeah, you know, having good conversations about connecting, how they're doing, how their mental mental health is. So again, managing their energy level is a real important thing for them uh, to find time to have space. So as a student athlete, when you when you come to America and you have all these things going on, it's important to have a to build in a good schedule for yourself so that you know, you know, I'm getting up at a certain time. Um, I have to have, make sure I have time for myself. So the morning ritual is very important in anyone's life. So building a morning ritual that makes sense for you, uh, having a good breakfast, whether it's reading or something, something interesting, whatever your breakfast ritual, may, maybe it's spiritual, if it's prayer is important to you or meditation, and then building in time for studies and, and for, and then for football, because we travel, we also travel, you know, keep that in mind. So sometimes we have a match, let's say we would, travel uh, west coast we would leave on a thursday morning and get back on a red eye monday morning so so you're you're gone thursday friday saturday sunday you're in three different time zones in california and now you got to go to class at eight o'clock on monday wow right what, what does that look like so um knowing all this in advance is very important so once once you you start school you gather a lot of information. That's one of the things that I made sure that, uh, especially my international students knew, here's a schedule, we're training this many days a week, these are the times we're training, so this is the time that you need to set aside, and then your academics, this is your academic schedule, and then the other pieces are for you to kind of find your find your way. Uh, I would advise there's three things that you do in school as an athlete. There's three things you can do. Sport, academics, and social, right? There's only two that you can do really well. <laughs> only two you can do really well. You can't do three really well. And if social is one of the one of the things, you know, partying and having a good time, then the academics is going to fail or the athletics is going to fail. So you're really you're coming for the sport and academic experience 
and also having a fun, having social time. Don't get me wrong, because you want to meet people. You're going to develop friendships for the rest of your life. But it's really important that you don't go hard in all three and coming and socializing and you know, going out and, you know, experience in part without these other two, because the other two will fail. One of them will fail for sure. Because you have the the spring is a little bit more, uh, you know, you talk about social and co going to college is a very social experience and it should be. But when you're in season and, you know, I don't you have to remain focused on on the key thing at that time. Uh, the the spring is much more not such a rigid schedule, and it's it's maybe you just get to experience being a bit more of a regular student. Of course, there's training and there's but it doesn't there's no games that count. At least for soccer, I mean, you have some sports where, like in tennis, the the spring is super important, and the, the fall they still play quite a lot of uh, tournaments. So. There's some differences, of of course, but from from a soccer standpoint, uh, uh, spring is a bit more freedom, weekends yeah. off typically, and and you can go on some trips, and you know for for the Brooklyn guys, uh, go go into the city uh, or run or walk across the Brooklyn Bridge. I don't know what they wanted to do there after your preseason yeah. uh, preseason <laughs> runs, but. Uh, I walked it. It's beautiful, and just looking at the the skyscrapers, it's uh, it, it's it's awesome. Uh, but uh, even though you lived in Brooklyn, doesn't mean you have to. It's ultra social the whole time when you're in season. I think maybe a lot of uh, student athletes, at least before they make the decision on what school to go to, might just think that you, you're going to be just social the whole time. Which even though you're right in New York. You will still have your structured days to make sure you meet your commitments. Yeah, the the spring is a time to grow for a lot of growth, because in the fall you're competing, you're playing all the time, and you're you are under pressure because there's there's no break breaks in rhythm, unfortunately. So what I found, I love the spring season because we have the non traditional season. It's a it's a shorter season. Not as many training sessions, not as many games. There's you're permitted Division One five, five events that you could play. Uh, and Division Three, you're permitted one or two, two being an alumni game, and a smaller window. So that's where you do your internships. You mentioned internships. That's where you really um, uh, take advantage of all the assets that you have at the college that you're going to. You you look you look for you know, this is where we do internships. This is where I, I would drive my guys to their springtime to work around their schedule where they could do internships and really start figuring out their career. Is this what I really want to do or I don't want to do? Um, yeah. So that's the period. Um, yeah. That you, and, and the socialization is, is much greater than you can go on spring break or the areas, go travel, go, go see the country. The U S is, has so many fabulous places. So don't just stay in that one area that you're at, you know, go, go travel, go to Florida, go to California, go to New York, wherever you are. You know, and visit and experience, meet people. Yeah, and I we did that, so we can yeah. uh, we can say definitely go go and have fun. Yeah, uh, these, these semesters, TJ. I mean, they really they're quite short. You know, you you have three months in the summer, and some of them might want to stay in the U.S. And you talk about internships. I think it's actually really really smart to at some point during your college career to. Of course, you got to earn earn the right to get one, and you know, get actual job experience at, at a firm. You know, I know for the for, for Rasmus, for for Christopher, for Simon, they all did, uh, and, and several others. We can the list goes on with the number of students that that you've had, uh, you know, Scandinavians at the team, and but they they all did internships, and you know at a school like brooklyn and or the location like brooklyn there's an abundance of opportunities but maybe at bard it's you know you're out in the countryside it's a bit smaller but it might be that the school uh if you want to you know they will really help you land something that is going to be very good for your for your career for your degree for for yeah just life experience Oh yeah, it just, we. I was just very fortunate because I was in downtown Brooklyn, and they could just take the subway. And and as you, as you mentioned, it was uh, Rasmus and Simon. Uh, I got an internship with uh, Jay Z at Rock Nation, and you know they were just be able to get on the train and go there, which was like phenomenal. And then I helped um, 
with uh, Rasmus. He, uh, we got him and Simon also to play on a club team in the summer, and Christoph also, uh, Christopher. Uh, Brooklyn Italians, very good club team in New York. And then one of the uh, one of the members of the club uh, had his own uh, f- firm, uh, Wall Street firm. So he, we got an internship for Rasmus. Rasmus got an internship. And then when he graduated from uh, LIU, he he could have played like second division. I had an agent that was interested, and he was like, "No, nah, I want to I want to work Wall do Wall Street instead." Like, that's pretty good. You got that opportunity. You know what I mean? So we I think he spent a year or two living in Brooklyn, doing the whole life being a you know guy on his own, his apartment, still played football, good club level uh, on, a, on a team there and, you know, did some Wall Street stuff. So, but everything was experiences he did in the summer that led him to those opportunities. At Bard, we have phenomenal internships. We're, we're less than two hours by uh, train from Manhattan. And we have a very active career development alumni base that places students all over the world and also domestically actually even more so than LIU Brooklyn believe it or not so I, I for example I had a, I had a goalkeeper who was a sophomore when I started here at the end of the season he says coach I, I'm sorry but I'm, I'm not going to be able to play anymore because I have this top the top internship in Wall Street as a sophomore and I need to put time into it and he's still student. I'm like what yeah it's it was like one of the big firms one of the five big on Wall Street and he's a, he's a junior now. He's he's a president of our e- e- econ club. Um, his name is Nick. And yeah, he, he spent the summer in New York. They paid for his place, apartment, job. And he's only a junior. So it there's those networking connections that other colleges and universities have. You don't have to be just in New York or LA and or Chicago. You you know go to the alumni office. People want to help you out. People want to connect with you. I mean, I'm sure you've helped alums from your school that, you know, in, in different ways. So, uh, yeah, it's about being very proactive and and recognizing that the brand is you. You're your own brand. You can't wait to, for someone to brand you. Wherever you go, wherever you go, how can you connect with people in a meaningful and authentic way? And what value do you bring to the college and university? And, and I will argue that international students bring tremendous value. We are very ignorant with the world politics. And you experienced that. I remember you talking about, on one of the podcasts about you said that you're like a prince or a king, right? Right. When in your school, <laughs> I think you're saying, right? And well, like uh, believing you, Americans, there's a tremendous amount of ig- ignorance because, you know, America in many ways is, you know, we're the only ones. Uh-uh. So we need your European students to come and educate us, to expand our lens so that we become better at what we do. And I, I mean, I truly do. And and I, I will say that the internationals that have come over and you've been a big part of that have helped our American players become wiser and smarter, more compassionate and understanding. I love seeing the, you know, the, the, the groups of student athletes that end up going to each other's weddings and travel the world together. And it's been more difficult with the COVID and travel naturally, but there's an unbelievable bond for life that you get. And also with your coach and with the other alumni, you know, the ones that are graduated from the, the same school as you, you have something in, in common. And uh, I think you're, yeah, I think everybody can bring a little piece to, to make this world a little bit better by uh, by, by com- coming to a place and study and play sport. That's one of the reasons why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, create be, be part of that you talk about legacy but yeah i think the world needs more of that stuff uh, that that's good stuff it, it does because the friendships that your students are going to make when they come to america they're going to make friends for the rest of their lives with americans from all over matt harmer an english player who played for me 25 years ago it, it you know his wedding he had half a dozen of his teammates flew out flew from america to be his wedding and he's flown over several times to be at the weddings of his best friends. One of my Canadian uh, players was a goalkeeper. He just posted this morning, uh, one of his teammates on the team is the media director for the Tennessee Titans NFL football team that was at LA Brooklyn. And he just, this is my, this is my, this is my friend. He gave him a shout out on his, on his Instagram, you know, Canadian goalkeeper who actually played for the Canadian Olympic team, by the way, who's now working with the Canadian Olympic committee. And he's given a shout out to this guy from Virginia, from rural Virginia, that he met in Brooklyn, New York. Like, how cool is that? I mean, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, 100%. TJ, to, to wrap it up, uh, I have two questions for you. 
the, the first one is uh, best advice for an international student athlete uh, when they're here. The, the one thing that is critical that you've seen to be successful, you, you need this ingredient. Find ways that you can bring value. How can you, how can you make the place, the team better than it was before? What can you offer? Whether it's your football skills, your tennis skills, or is it your life skills or your leadership skills? How can you make it better? How can you connect authentically in a real way with people? Because when you do that, you're gonna expand your own network of people. You're gonna expand opportunities. You're gonna find that things will come to you that you never even imagined discovered because the value that you bring to the group. Amazing, yeah. good, good advice. The, la the last one, a bit more trivial. You know, my, my, uh, my TV show uh, hero growing up, that was MacGyver. You know, the, the Richard Dean Anderson played MacGyver who could solve everything with a Swiss army knife. And he was just, you know, he was just called MacGyver. You know, kind of like you, TJ Kostecki. But in one episode, they revealed MacGyver's first name, which happened to be Angus. And he was very, you know... He didn't like his first name, but it was Angus MacGyver. So here's the question, TJ. What does TJ stand for? Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> TJ, ready for this, is actually my legal name. It's two letters, TJ, no periods. The, the letter TJ? TJ, no periods. My middle name is Ihor, I-H-O-R. My last name is Kostecki. It wasn't always TJ. I got a change when I was uh, 14 years old, legally changed. The TJ, yeah. This yeah. is unbelievable. This is yeah. groundbreaking. This is Angus MacGyver episode <laughs> revealed. Yeah, it is. Why, why did, okay, so then the follow-up. Why, why did you change it to... to I, I was, thought it was like, oh, it's Thomas James or... You know, well, a lot of people think that. So I'll shorten the story. I was named after my uncle who died in the war. His name was Igor, I-G-O-R. Terrible name in America. In Ukraine, it's like John. It's a very, very popular <laughs> yeah. name, but not in America. So I used to get teased all the time. And my mom wanted me to be named Tony after my father. I would have been Tony Jr. T-J. So she gave me the nickname. All of my friends, everybody in the neighborhood called me TJ. In school, they called me Igor. And as I went through life and I went through high school, junior high school into high school, I said, I'm going to go with TJ. I, that's me. That's more my identity. So I went in front of a judge, actually. I, was four, I had to get in front of a judge legally to do that at 14 years old. And uh, he, he asked me, he goes, are you trying to evade taxes? I said, no, I just want to change my name. He goes, okay. So it's TJ, two letters, no periods, Ihor, which is Igor in Ukrainian, Ihor Kostecki. So that's my legal name. Wow. You got it here first. <laughs> the, the scoop is there. Yeah. Uh, fantastic. Well, TJ, Igor Kostecki, uh, Hall of Famer in Ukraine. Yeah. We'll, we'll see if Andre is going to be on in your... Uh, Shortly after this episode. Yeah. yeah. If, he, if he's joining the party. Um, but... Thank you so much for, for taking the time out of your busy fall schedule to, to sit with us and share the wisdom. Uh, your vision training for life. Uh, I think it's uh, phenomenal leadership training that you, you bring to the table that, that I know many, many of our players have enjoyed and you've, you've changed lives of many, many of your student athletes. So continue doing that. And we can't wait to have you over uh, in, in Europe soon to to hopefully recruit some to uh, to Bard, yeah. uh, if that's if that's going to be possible soon. Yeah, wonderful. I look forward to, to to the visit. I thank the two of you and thank you, Emil, as well. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Appreciate it.